Did you know that Louisiana was integral to and laid the foundation for the birth of our nation? In this first interview of two with Jacques Couret, a New Orleans native and devotee of all things Louisiana, we talk about Louisiana's role in solidifying America's independence from the British, along with the very unique origins of its food and culture. Let's dig in. I would love to talk about Louisiana because you do know so much about your beloved state. It's also uh, my home as well. Uh, there's, there's nothing I love talking about more, as you know, and anyone who knows me in Atlanta, you know, a day doesn't go by or a conversation where it just doesn't come up. Um, Louisiana is a special place um, to me for very personal reasons, but it's it's an important state in our union, in, in American history. Remember, we became a state in 1803 when Jefferson bought it from Napoleon, and it gave us a humongous chunk of land that stretches all the way up to Minnesota. There are several U.S. states that at one time were Louisiana, from Minnesota on down the Mississippi River. Uh, it, it's important in pre-American times. And, and when I say American, I mean our country, not you know, Mer- Mesoamerican. But, you know, the French start coming down that river from Canada well before there's a state of Louisiana, LaSalle. It's important because the Mississippi River can connect to the Gulf to ship goods, you know, everything from fur pelts from the, you know, the northernmost parts of Canada on down. New Orleans is a major hub. It remains so. I mean, most of the grain and produce from, you know, our our bread basket comes down the Mississippi River and gets sent around the world from the port of New Orleans to this day. Well, we, we, Louisiana supplied, what, a fourth of the sugar, sugar, consumption in the world? Absolutely. To this day, we produce, I mean, South Carolina, Arkansas, Texas, and Louisiana produce a ton of rice. Um, You're talking about um, back in the day, Louisiana, I mean, there's tobacco road in the mid Atlantic with the Carolinas and Virginia, but we're, we're producing indigo. We're producing sugarcane, rice, cotton, not to mention all the seafood. Um, You know, it's Louisiana is, it was, a gateway to so many things in American history. I mean, people don't realize the war of 1812. Yes, there was a major battle fought in Washington, DC and the British burned down the white house, but that war had already ended when the battle of New Orleans was fought in 1815, January, 1815. And it was the battle that solidified our independence from the British post-revolutionary war. Cause they were trying to come back in. And that battle fought there with Andrew Jackson and Jean Lafitte, the pirate and his men, we solidified America as an independent nation in New Orleans. Well, to be precise, Chalmette, Louisiana, just east of the city. And when people think, I think of Louisiana, New Orleans, they think of, I mean, the right things, Cajun culture, Creole culture, our amazing food, jazz music, rock and roll. Okay, well, let me stop you right there. Explain the difference between Creole, Cajun, and Acadian. Boy, that's a great one. Okay, so... The Acadians were people of northeastern Canada, um, Nova Scotia mostly, whom when the French Indian War, the Seven Years' War, as world history books call it, ended, when the British took control of Canada from the French, they gave these people the opportunity to pledge their lives to the British crown and renounce Catholicism and become Protestant or basically get the hell out. And many of them did. Some of them settled in modern-day Maine, uh, 
Massachusetts, you know, things we think the states in New England, mm-hmm. but the majority of them came down to Louisiana when Louisiana was a Spanish territory after that war because the Spanish governors realized they really weren't getting anywhere with developing this new colony because they didn't speak the language, that being French. They were Spanish speakers. So they put word out and, hey, you speak French, come here. And the Acadians came down. Over time, they married, uh, intermarried with some Germans, you know, upriver from the ones in what's now called Desalmen, which means of the Germans in French. They intermarried with Choctaw Indians. They intermarried with some Creoles from New Orleans. And little by little, the, you know, Creole. How do you define Creole? Creole, that's that's sort of a tricky one because there's so many connotations that come over that some are true, some aren't. When people hear Creole, I think often when they ask me, oh, are you Cajun? You're from London? No, I'm Creole. Well, you don't look black. Well, that's because I'm not. <laughs> I mean, Creole has sort of been lumped together, I think, with the, the the old terms, you know, mulatto, quadroon, and that sort of thing. And yes, there are certainly Creoles of color. All right. Tell the me what mulatto and quadroon mean. Uh, mulatto is, you know, as you want to say, cafe au lait, you know, half and half. Beautiful, you know, typically that Creole, black Creole, beautiful skin and pretty eyes. And they were among some of the free blacks at the time, FMOCs, free men of color, who did a lot of great stuff in New Orleans. A lot of the wrought iron galleries in the French Quarter, those were black artisans who did that. And they were part of society. All the balls, ball masks, as it, ball mask as it was called. Um, but Creole, in its truest sense, means of the Spanish and or French descent born in the new world of New Orleans. It has come to also mean black and white mix. It's come to mean Spanish and French and black. It's come to mean New Orleans in general. African? Absolutely. Afro-Caribbean in particular. I mean, obviously. Mm -hmm. That's what I think of Creole as Afro-Caribbean. But you're not Afro-Caribbean and you're Creole. No. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you've got so much of an influence from West Africa due to the slave trade. And then by proxy, the Caribbean, which I mean, New Orleans is often called, and it's true, the northern capital of the Caribbean. They brought their their languages and cultures to the pot, the gumbo pot too, and they are indeed Creole. In fact, the the, the quote unquote pigeon French spoken Haiti and some of the other Caribbean islands is Creole French. Now, the Creole French that is spoken in New Orleans is not. It's Parisian French that was brought over, but then stopped evolving at, with the French language across the pond, and that became the Creole French dialect of which my grandparents grew up speaking, and I heard a little of and knew a little of growing up. But in general, the Acadians are the ones who come down. The Cajuns are their descendants because Cajun is basically a corruption word, Acadian. The, the people couldn't say Acadian. They'd say Acadian. So there, that becomes Cajun. And then the Creoles are the people of New Orleans. So Creole culture is, think of greater New Orleans and across the lake from New Orleans. Cajun culture is west of that, coastal central Louisiana, maybe up to Baton Rouge, you could argue. Mm-hmm. They passed mm-hmm. the um, And they speak a different French than the Creole French of New Orleans. They cook similar foods, but use different ingredients. I'll give you an example. A Creole gumbo will have tomatoes in it. A Creole gumbo will have, or jambalaya will have tomatoes in it. Cajun does not. And that's an argument. Um, We eat crawfish just like they do. Their jambalaya is brown. Ours is red. (laughs) Okay, and then talk about gumbo versus etouffee versus jambalaya. Jambalaya is, I think, a really interesting one. Well, so is gumbo. But uh, jambalaya is, it's sort of a, bastardization of the Spanish um, uh, paella combined with West African jollof rice, which also spreads to the Caribbean before coming to New Orleans or as it's coming to New Orleans. It's a combination basically of ham or pork, which we use sausage in, seafood and rice cooked together with the Trinity, you know, bell pepper, celery, and uh, onions. And of Mm -hmm. course you got to have garlic in there too. Um, 
gumbo is a beautiful, beautiful example of what the New Orleans culture is because it brings in so much of the French, Spanish, Afro-Caribbean, and, and West African coast. The word gumbo itself is West African, Ghana to be precise. It means okra. And okra was an original ingredient in traditional New Orleans gumbo. It was used as a thickener. It's got a very sort of, mm, it's got pasty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So good. I like it fried me, but uh, gumbo is the French technique of making a roux for a stew with the Spanish influence of using pork in a stew and the African experience of adding okra to it. And then even more so it's one of the few foods in, in Louisiana that has a native American influence. You thicken gumbo, if you're not using okra, with ground sassafras leaves, which we call filet, F-I-L-E, accent aigu, filet powder. It's the Indian contribution. And to me, a gumbo ain't a gumbo if it ain't got filet at the end. because it that herbal note that's just so hard to describe. So gumbo is such a beautiful example of everything that came together to make New Orleans what it is. You can find all of the cultures pretty much in it. It's gorgeous. And, and then there's etouffee. Totally oh, different. It. Etouffee comes from the French word, which means to smother, which we English people get the word stuff from. Etouffe looks like stuff, if you think about it in English. It's basically a small stew. Um, you make a very quick roux um, with butter, not oil. At least that's how we do it in my family. Put that trinity in, and you can do shrimp. You can do crawfish. You can do chicken. But uh, to me, it's seafood. and It's like everything in Louisiana, served over rice. While we're on food, before we go to um, some other important topics, can you talk about um, New Orleans French bread and why it's the only place in the country that (laughs) you can get French bread that mimics that of Paris? Absolutely. Or France in general, for that matter. I don't understand what, I mean, I've I've been to San Francisco and had sourdough. It's fine, but it's too chewy and you got to pull to it. You make your work for it. You know, I've had French bread all over this country and they call it French bread. It's not. French bread in New Orleans is special. It's got that nice, thin, crispy crust and such an airy, light middle that makes it perfect for stuffing and calling it a po' boy. I think a lot of it has to do with the humidity down there, the way it rises. I think it's technique. You know, the Germans are notable bakers who love their bread, and they kind of throw some of their culture into the mix and add it to the classic French baguette. But it's special. Yeah, it's, I think it's humidity. And you could argue like the New Yorkers do with their bagels. It's the water. New Orleans has that nice hard water. It's very minerally to me. I mean, tap water in New Orleans tastes good. I swear to God, I'd rather, I grew up drinking tap water out the the you know the hose pipe on the side of the house, as we used to call it in the summer. Mm-hmm. It was delicious. Well, and last category being uh, sugar versus beets. I think people don't understand that sugar cane is responsible for I don't know, most, if not all of Louisiana's crop. Um, and they, I think get, they, they get confused about the difference between sugarcane sugar and beet sugar. Yeah. And New Orleans is important for this reason because the modern uh, sugar granulation process was invented uh, present day Audubon park, right across from Loyola university by a man named Etienne de Bore, who became uh, one of the early mayors of New Orleans. And he invented the modern sugar, granulation process by using sugar cane. It grows beautifully in that climate. It grows rapidly in that climate. It's so much easier to grow. Um, It produces a higher quality sugar and and you can get so much from it. Uh, You get molasses, blackstrap, you get the sugar in the raw, as they call it now, you get the pure white sugar with the further you refine it. And it changed 
the American palate. I mean, people before modern sugar granulation would have to, like you say, use beet sugar or honey and, and other natural things. Now, all of a sudden, we can produce sugar on this, you know, massive scale and and and, and ship it out. Now everybody can bake a sweet cake at home. Now everybody can have sugar in their Right, coffee. which was not the case for no. uh, 150 years ago. And beet sugar doesn't have the density that sugar cane has, right? No, I, I don't believe so. No, no. But and, it's what I and, grew up on. Yeah, right. And we don't grow beets in the in the South, do we? Uh, maybe small gardens, but no. But I can tell yeah. you, I mean, it, it, I feel bad for people that didn't grow up in Louisiana like we did. There's nothing better when you're a kid than going to the French Quarter and getting, you know, like a foot long piece of sugar cane in the French market for like a dollar and then chucking and, su- uh, you know, sucking and chewing on it all day while your parents are walking you around the French Quarter shop. And to get that sweet, pure sugar juice out of the sugar cane is a delight as a hyperactive child. It's delicious. <laughs> <laughs> It, it is very special. I would agree yeah, with you. This way too. You know, rum was the number one beverage in colonial times in, you know, the Northeast and across uh, early America, because when they would develop uh, or produce sugarcane, molasses was a byproduct and you can ferment molasses into rum. So that was also part of know that. Wow. You know, our founding fathers were notable rum drinkers by the gallon. And most children even drank beer because there wasn't the water purification that we have today. So rum was a very important beverage and you know that's also ties into slavery in the in the caribbean you know a lot of rum produced there rum bullion so maybe that's yeah. why i had beer in my bottle um <laughs> i never thought about it that way but that well, would explain a lot a, <laughs> <laughs> I, my mayor used to give me a cafe au lait which i called coffee milk i translated it, it was a, a demi toss cup filled with a lot of sugar a little coffee and a lot of milk and it was <laughs> delicious and i get to the uh end of it and I could just find the little granules of sugar that I turned into a syrup with that coffee. And I would just suck on that little Demitas coffee. Oh, I, I know it. You know the taste I'm talking about, that chicory coffee with all that sugar. Oh, man. Delightful. I do. My father threw, he used to make coffee uh, that was so thick, it, it looked like molasses. He would he pour a Demitas. <laughs> yeah, he would pour a Demitas of it and throw it back like a shot early in the morning. Yeah, well, that ties back to, I mean, you talk about, you know, our coffee culture during the Civil War, New Orleans natives would, or residents rather, would cut roasted chicory into their coffee to make it last longer because there was right, we'll talk about it. chicory because that also is very under, misunderstood. Ingredient, what is chicory? Chicory is basically the root of a lettuce. Uh, if you ever had a fancy salad of mescaline at any fine restaurant, you'll always find frisee in it. That's that little curly oh, yeah. light green that's very kind of prickly looking that's from the chicory root it's called frisee uh but the root can be um used uh roasted ground up and then added to coffee to make it last longer go further as an adjunct uh but the funny thing is after the war was over the people wanted to develop a sort of a taste for it because that chicory adds a richness to, to regular coffee like in my family we didn't drink Folgers or Maxwell House that was considered Yankee coffee and bleh. but that chicory coffee has that nice round rich flavor and when you put you know that hot coffee with scalded white milk um, oh man you got a cafe lake some people think it's it's bitter it is a bitter root, but it adds a richness also to the coffee. And remember, I mean, a lot of I think a lot of people ones like cafe au lait. They drink it with milk. I mean, New Orleans has had a coffee culture long before the Starbucks of the box of the world. I mean, my uh, I know talk about that. Oh, the patriarch of my family, Jean Bernard Curé, you know, gets over here in the 1830s um, after a, a short brief stay in uh, Haiti, uh, opened up one of the first coffee shops in the present day French Quarter. Um, 
and coffee was culture. I mean, remember, the, it's, it comes from the French, and New Orleanians always like their coffee. It's We've always, I mean, I laugh when people spend all this money for a latte. Man, I can make a nice cup of coffee with all the milk and sugar I want with it. And it's better, and it's a lot cheaper because I'm using chicory coffee. You know, um, the, the closest thing I could compare it with would probably be like the Q, Cubano style of coffee. It's very rich, very dark, very bitter, but you add a little bit of milk to it. And it's oh, it's delightful. It's got a roundness to it and a, a heaviness that that coffee should have that. I don't know, man. I just never cared for the, the American style coffees. <laughs> well, and you can still get chicory. I saw it just the other day in uh, in the grocery store. You can still get chicory. I think most people, if they've not been exposed to it, they don't understand what element it adds to coffee, but it is very unique. Absolutely. It's a New Orleans tradition. I mean, I think maybe times have changed. I, I do know, you know, the popular brand of coffee, well, there were several, CDM being one, Cafe du Monde, and Community Coffee, the big one. They have, they have, you know, regular coffee now in various blends, but to me, it's the New Orleans blend with chicory is what you want. That's the taste mm-hmm. of home. That's mm-hmm. the sort of Cafe du Monde flavor. You know, it's that rich, rounded chicory roast coffee. You can't beat it. This concludes part one of my two-part series on Louisiana with Jacques Couray. I hope you'll tune in for the second one when he zeroes in on peculiar but beloved New Orleans terms and phrases, along with music, Mardi Gras, and much, much more. Comments and feedback are always appreciated, so please visit me at southernelegies.com and share your thoughts with me. Bye now. (laughs) 